Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the No Laying Up Golf Podcast. My name is Randy. I am joined by Tron Carter, Cody McBride, and Jordan Perez. This is part two of the 2023 LPGA season recap. If you did not listen to part one, make sure to check that out. It will set the stage for the second part of the episode. Uh, the second part also brought to you by our good friends at Titleist, the number one ball on the LPGA Tour, and wherever competitive golf is played. You've heard us say it before. The best players in the world are playing a golf ball that's fit to their games. Cody and myself, along with Lily Vu, Celine Boudier, Amy Yang, we trust the performance of the Pro V1X which gives us all a little bit more height and spin with slightly firmer feel. Tron, he plays the ball that Allison Corpuz, Lynn Grant, Megan Kang, just to name a few, play, and that is the Pro V1. They get a little bit lower flight and spin, but with a little softer feel. And something we've all learned in the last year, you simply can't play your best golf without getting fit for the right golf ball. So head over to Titleist.com to start the fitting process and see which model is right for your game. We thank Titleist. And now without further ado, let's just jump right back into our recap episode of the 2023 LPGA season. Enjoy. The next homework I assigned you guys, I, I wrote down how many? Three, six, ten players, nine players. And I want to just, I, I assigned each of you to make the case whether this person had a successful season, a disappointing season, or if it was just a meh type season. And so, Cody, I the first one I had was Nelly Corda. It's, it's a great segue. What is the case you want to make to the rest of us about Nelly Corda's 2023? Well, to the board, I think we can, I, I hope that I can find you know, a quorum here on this and say that this was a disappointing year for Nelly Corda. Does anybody I object? Wrong? I was thinking it's on the borderline of mad disappointment. Yep. So I, I would go disappointment. So uh, uh, as we stated, a drop in the Rolex rankings, majority of that is due to a little bit of nagging injuries that she was still been dealing with. But really what it comes down to is just a god-awful putter. And we got to see that up close and personal a lot this year. No wins on the year. It's very rare that you say that for Nellie Corda. She did come in second at the HSBC Women's World Championship to start the year off. She had a third place finish at the Chevron, you know, and she just really her last, she came out hot and then she had three really just suboptimal rounds uh, in Houston there to come up with that third place finish. She ended up 11th at the Women's open which randy and i saw her up close we watched a ton of her golf uh throughout that week and she did she hit the ball uh better off the tee and uh better irons than anyone else in that field and literally did not make a single putt all week truly the worst she could have finished yeah yep that's where we saw some things start to change i guess in her camp so she fired her her longtime uh swing instructor she hired 
Jason Bale, who's the director of instruction at Jupiter Hills down in Florida. She made that change right after the KPMG. Everybody remembers there was a week off in between KPMG and the U.S. Women's Open. New swing instructor there. Uh, swing was dialed the second half of the year. We talked a lot about her putting woes and, and kind of, it, it, yeah, it wasn't, it was not good. And then uh, she actually ended up hiring a new putting instructor too, right around, I want to say the week prior to the Solheim. I can't remember his name right now. I probably could look it up there, but it was just bad. It was the year of bad putting. I think we saw her with four or five different putters bouncing back and forth between uh, Newport twos, different Newport two knockoffs. She went to a mallet and was playing phantom for a long time. She went to a normal traditional mallet. She tried a longer putter, a shorter putter. Um, you know, it just seemed like everything that she was, she was trying. She just could not get the feeling uh, in any confidence on the green. They're rounding that up. Uh, a very poor performance from the U S team at the international crown and then a lot of weight on her shoulders, obviously, at the Solheim Cup where, you know, we were kind of expecting her to, to go out and, and, you know, take some throats out there. And it just really didn't happen. Um, so overall, I give that a disappointment. From the guys who are just meh, what do you think I missed? Huh. I mean, I think the, no, I, I'm, I, I think I'm with you. It's disappointing. I'm kind of getting to the point where, like, I guess it depends on whether, on like what your expectations are for Nelly, right? And is she the player that we think she's going to evolve into, or is she the player that she's shown thus far? Um, you know, I think there. I think the equipment change was big too. Like she struggled to find a good driver, and you know, was eventually back into Titleist. You know, yep, and had the full. But like thinking about it through the context of Lilia Vu not having basically a hat deal or a sponsorship deal, and then looking at nike backing up a brinks truck for nelly like it's it's an interesting juxtaposition so i think cody the only thing i'd add is um just nelly deserves to have high expectations you know we, we had talked about the deal she signed with nike she's the highest endorsed female golfer in the world she's the only female golfer of the top 15 highest paid female athletes in 2023 and I, I think it's fair to have high expectations for her. And I think when when you look at it in terms of, you know, I, I think we were expecting her to to win a major, to to really vie with with Lilia. And and I, I don't know. I, I think the more I think about Nelly, the more disappointing the season gets. But I also do want to recognize that like she's close. Like the she could have a monster 2024, but I'm almost getting to the point where it's like she she, she almost has to start showing me. Like she, she has to show me something before I'm like totally bought in on on the Nelly train. I don't It's feeling a little Brooke Henderson-y. Yeah, it's feeling like we're just stalled out and like we're not like she's not that young anymore either, you know, and she's been out on the LPGA tour a long time. Like if it's going to happen, it's, it's going to start happening. The one thing that I will add in there is that she did not win on the LPGA Tour. She did not win at a major. She did win in a Ramco Team Series event, the London event. Uh, 
you know, you can take that for what it is, but she was up there, you know, she ran away with it, ended up winning by three or four. She beat Charlie there, uh, who this was middle of July. And you kind of thought that that's when she was going to kind of turn over and start just being a world beater. And it just didn't really happen. So one, uh, one victory there, LET Aramco team series, but that did not transfer over to the rest for LPGA calendar. Tron, you got the next one for us. Minji Lee. Yeah, I think this is a fascinating one. Won twice, but kind of a non-factor until September. She made all 18 cuts of the LPGA events she played in. Kind of looking into it a little bit farther, she she was down in Australia, almost won the Australian Open a couple weeks ago. But there was, there was a good article on Fox Sports Australia from uh, Eamon Tiernan, and he said... Uh, this is all from kind of her her presser down in Australia about how burned out she was. First half of the year, going into April, she just kind of totally reset. And yeah, she she the, actually went back home, right? She yeah, needed more. Went time to the off. beach with her friends. Just didn't think about golf. She's twenty six, twenty. She's like twenty six or twenty seven. She's been out on tour for like eight years, and she just said, "Hey, I'm I'm totally worn out. The last eight years have been a blur. It's been going a mile a minute. Uh, I need to reset." And she did that and came out and just completely uh looked awesome the last couple months of the season and uh i think there was a like a few other really like she she was 12th on the money list certainly not not up to her expectations like this was a player that was challenging for number one in the world you know in 2019 and um you know and thinking about australians too you think about all right like couldn't you know couldn't go back to australia during COVID or, you know, there's, there's a lot of COVID I think was a little bit more damaging to Australian golfers than it was to a lot of other nationalities. I loved seeing her shoot 80, 66, 68, 66 at the women's Scottish to finish T13 did not shoot around in the seventies. And like, that's gritty. I like seeing that from her. I like seeing that, that kind of, you know, some dog in her, um, Conversely, final round 75 at the U.S. Women's Open. She was in a pretty good spot heading into that final round. Finishes T13. Uh, it's tough. You know, you got the three majors there kind of back to back, like like three majors within five starts for her in June and July. So if you're not dialed and, and, and hot going into those, it's tough to kind of define your season. Like that's going to make or break your season. Um and then, you know, she had a close call at Founders, but just overall, just a really bad start to the season, but she did what she needed to do to reset it. And I'm, I'm buying in a big way for Minji Lee in 2024. And it's, you know, it's, it, again, it comes down to streaky putter, uh, but the ball striking is always going to be there. I would say it's a, it's, a, it's a meh year for her. I don't think it's a, you know, I think her expectations to be number one golfer in the world. And, but a disappointment would have been, you know, something short of two wins right it's even hard for me to to give her a meh i i mean gosh when you lay it all out like that it's like is it the best year ever no but i i would almost lean more towards success her playoff win in cincinnati too was was really good uh she she hit some shots to to beat charlie hall yeah that was that was a phenomenal win we're also forgetting the the founders. I mean, the founders. She had to. She was defending her title of founders. She put herself in a position playoff there with Jin Young Ko, and you know, 
honestly, she she showed Jin on the line. I don't know if you guys remember that, but uh, perfect camera angle there. It, it was it was she was she was close. She was close a lot more than she was uh, far away there. Yeah, yeah. All I'm saying is, listen, we're talking about a two time major champion that could take the step to being one of the dominant players for a generation. And I think the the expectations are for you know top you know top fives and wins and majors and you know more of a consistent season throughout so yeah god your expectations for her are very similar to my expectations for nelly oh yeah i would say even probably even higher i thought you were gonna say lucy lee cody (laughs) jordan you got the next one jin young ko i'm very very fascinated where you land here i don't want to go too hard on jin young ko i she's Faced a lot of a slew of injuries in the past two years. I think if it wasn't the wrist, now it's the knee. Had a surgery going into CME. She won at the beginning of the year. Won Founders, and I think she won, what was it, um, HSBC. And so I think she's just been battling herself a lot, kind of similar to maybe Minji, but more physically. And, you know, you've seen her get into playoffs Fought Megan Kang, Megan Kang ultimately prevailed. And I just, I look at, I look at Jin Young Ko and I wonder, just in the context of injury, is, you know, is her body ever going to be the same? Are we going to see the same Jin Young Ko that we saw in 2019 and kind of that era? And I hope, you know, I hope we see that two time major championship winning year like that, similar to what the kind of stretch Lilia had this year. And so, I don't know. I would. I, I'm in, I'm between meh and success, just because we know what Jin Young Ko is capable of. But it's really hard to fault her when injury is in her way, and she ended up withdrawing from CME, even though she had the surgery weeks before. And so it's, it's just been. I think it's just been. It's been. There's been some success, but it's not been the year she's wanted, and it's the end of the year was kind of tough and. I'm going to fall between success and meh. I, I'm, I'm not trying to go too hard on her. I think it's meh a disappointment personally, but I, I do recognize the injuries. Um, and I think that the biggest thing that, or the biggest reason why I land there is I just wanted to see her more of a threat at the major championships. I, I think that's what's really lacking. Um, she had one top 10. It was a tied for ninth at Chevron. And then, like, she wasn't a factor really at all um, at any of the other majors. The next specs finished, she had a couple tied for 20th, uh, finished tied for 30th at the British, and then missed the cut at the at Pebble Beach. Um, I, I acknowledge injuries. I acknowledge that's a factor, but I still think it's it's disappointing. I, I think Jin Young Ko's got to be more of a factor uh, the five biggest weeks of the year. So... You're a little nicer than I am, Jordan. Tough, tough grader. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I assign Cody. Uh, the only thing that I'd add on Junior Co. is like her uh, her explorations and deep diving into the local cuisines everywhere she goes. Truly, is fascinating to me. I think she she has started to use that as her her primary talking point in every presser. Uh, so I don't know if she's trying to to rally some more local support, but whether that's you know lobster rolls in the Northeast to some other seafood when we're out in California and then talking about poutine and, and donuts and stuff like that up in Canada. It was truly fascinating to see, but that was it. 
We just need Randy. some people to start stacking some majors. Lilia's like, Lilia's you know, trying. Got, you know, we got uh we got Anna Norquist with three. Right now, Inji Chun's got three. Other like that's really it. As for those are the leaders, as far as the active players, we got a bunch of people at two, and we got a bunch of people at one. Yeah, you know, but like Brooke Henderson's got two. Randy, I just don't think you're being hard enough on Nelly. Like well, we're like we are in the prime of her career. Yeah, and no, I, I twenty five. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, TC. I I don't. I don't. And you've been very hard on Brooke in the past. I have. I have. Brooks coming Speaking up of, next. Brooks coming up next. Let me talk about a Titicum real quick. Uh, twenty years old. So rewind to twenty twenty two. It was a rookie year on the LPGA tour as a nineteen year old. She won twice. Truly, the sky's the limit. I, I think everybody you talk to, anywhere, players, commentators, caddies, like I've never heard anybody say like, "Oh, Titicum, like she doesn't." Everybody raves about her game, okay? So high expectations coming into 2023. I thought certainly she'll she'll win. Perhaps this is the year she knocks off a major. I, I think I was really hoping for that. She did neither. And so I think it's really easy to say because of that, it was a disappointing year. But I'm actually going to show a soft side. I think it was a successful year. And I know that sounds crazy, but I point to two things. She led the LPGA Tour in top tens, which points to, and and I I believe she led by at least a couple. She had thirteen top tens, which tells me she played a ton of good golf throughout the year. Just couldn't get a win. And then the second thing I point to is she won the VAR Trophy this year, which goes to the lowest scoring average on tour for the season, and which comes with a Hall of Fame point. And she captured that as a 20-year-old. I don't think it was a complete success, but I do think her season belongs in the success category. The the two glaring weeks, and really, she had a withdrawal, so technically, I guess she missed three cuts, but she missed the cut at the KPMG at Baltusrol, and she missed at Pebble Beach. And like you guys said, those were back-to-back tournaments um, with a week in between. And it's just tough, right? Because if if you're kind of off your game, you, you miss out on like probably two of the best weeks this year, along with the women's open. So I will acknowledge those were those were very disappointing weeks. But outside of that, it was just top tens out the ass. I think she's somebody, and this is maybe hopeful, wishful thinking. I think she's primed for a monster 2024. I, I think 2024 is going to be what maybe I hoped people hoped 2023 was going to be. I could see her winning a ton. I, I am so bullish on Ataya Titicum. I, I think she is ready to join Runing In and Lilia Vu. And like it, it's it's on. The major race is on. And I hope that's that's the case in 2024. I love that. I think 2024 is going to be a banner year. For women's golf, you got a Solheim Cup in the states. You got Sahali. You got Lancaster. You got St Andrews, the old course. That's that's the good stuff. Yeah, bring that shit on, uh, TC. I asked you to break down Brooke Henderson's year. Yeah, uh, it's a firm, solid meh, Randy. It's uh, you know, she was second at Avion. She won the 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 Diamond Resorts. 
you know, event. Shout out that's Flask. not a re- like that's like maybe like <laughs> half a half a win. You know, maybe if yeah. that. You know, her scoring rank, she she fell outside the top ten in or in scoring rank for the first time in like five years. She was thirteenth scoring average above seventy for the first time uh since twenty sixteen. So, you know, played twenty four times. I know we've always talked about her being maybe teeing it up too much. That's up from twenty two times in twenty twenty two, but down from her her peak of thirty, thirty one times there in the mid two thousand. 2010s so overall you know kind of whatever um made 19 cuts out of 24 events only three top tens so i feel like her you know that that's versus 10 last year and seven the year before so that's the the lowest amount of top tens she's had since 2015 when uh she only played four events like this was probably the worst event of her or like the worst season of her pro career i think you got to throw out 2020 that she only played 10 times there um, just with COVID and everything. So yeah, this was probably the most inconsistent, lowest floor season of, of, of her career. So overall, I don't know. It's 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 funny. I was digging into the stats a little bit. She hit 73% of her fairways, which uh, you know, on the PGA tour, that would be near the near the top of the pile. That's 78th on the LPGA tour. It's hit three quarters of your fairways. So she's 26 now. She's been a pro for eight years now. I'm not sure if there's a lot more there, right? I think we've seen, we know what Brooke Henderson is at this point. I could see her winning another major at some point. Uh, goes back to Sahali this year, the KPMG Women's PGA, where, she, where she's won prior. But I think we know who and what she is. She's a solid, above average you know, top 10 player in the world. She feels like kind of a, you know, maybe a Xander Shoffley or, a, or you know, or a, um, trying to think who else, like Bill Haas, you know, some, something of that nature. Yeah. Well, definitely better results for, than Bill Haas. I understand what you're saying. I think Xander is spot on still. I mean, she's top 20 player in the world week in, yeah. week out. I mean, she's Bill always going to be so there. good. Right, but I mean that's. I think you're cutting. You're being overly harsh on Brooke putting Bill Haas. Uh, One of the on Canadians her. coming after me. <laughs> <laughs> Anything from the rest of the group on Brooke that we're missing? No, I think that's. I, I think TC, you, you captured my feelings. I, I think she's a threat to win majors, but I just don't put her in the upper echelon. I just don't know if she has the top gear that some of these other women have. Is is where I net out with Brooke, which is super interesting because it seems like you know she's got this awesome swing. She hits the shit out of the ball. She's got touch. I, I can't figure out why it all doesn't add up to something more. Yeah, that was cathartic for me because I've I've been, you know, high on the Brooke train for the last five years or so. I'm surprised Randy didn't assign that one to himself. Well, I sometimes I get accused of, you know, the Canadians think I'm very unfair to Brooks. I wanted to give it to TC to see what he thought. Cody, I, I, I assigned you the next one is Charlie Hall. And I think it's an easy like, oh, yeah, it was a successful season. But I think there are some interesting questions with Charlie. And so I'm, I'm curious kind of how you would um, synthesize her 2023. I would say it's a uh, definitely a resounding success. Last year, uh, coming out, uh, rounding the year, I think we would say after winning in Dallas, 
we didn't really know. She started the year off 17th on the Rolex ranking. What am I missing? What's, what's going on? Jordan, the floor is yours. Resounding success is a stretch. Here. Well, yeah. See, this is where I think it gets interesting. All right. Because we come out How of many the U.S. Times Women's can Open. Bridesmaid. That, and it's like we come out of the U.S. Women's Open, and I'm like, all right, like, Charlie's here. She, she, she might have got something going on. And I think kind of squandering the Women's Open was, was just – not great and the the momentum or the tournament the momentum i i lean like just beneath success but not meh but i think resounding success is certainly a stretch here oh my goodness okay i'm gonna do it to you then uh we're gonna punish people for putting themselves into the arena okay so there's three rounds everybody has one bad round that's fine none other times outside of of the the one victory uh that she had um like i said started the year 17th in the world finished the year she's eight in the world now um she started out hot at diamond t2 uh and you know brooke was hot that week charlie should have won that tournament missed the cut at the chevron uh not because of poor play she had a broken heart okay that was a big story of the year <laughs> all right it took her a while to get over that we mended that we got over that relationship we moved on to the next one and we were off to the races we got to pebble as you said Maybe she gave that tournament away. I would say that honestly, Allison, Allison came. I think Allison, yeah. Allison went. Yeah, 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 that was Allison. Got that for sure. All right. So there, T two at Pebble moves on. We can discuss the women's open. Uh, from being there, I will say I have never kind of experienced the uh, when somebody is playing in a major championship that truly is like in their hometown what that felt like because it did not matter where we walked around with it was it was okay the first two days because it was charlie and it was georgia and then when georgia just kind of like no showed and wasn't in there it was you know tens and tens and tens of thousands of people radio tv everybody was there strictly on charlie and her struggling with adhd and everything else that's going on around her i thought that she handled herself very, very well. I think, again, like, Lilia went out and won that tournament in decisive fashion. Uh, could Charlie have put up a better fight? Yeah, she could have. But I also think that, like, you know, Charlie hit some really, really bad shots. She played sloppy golf. She got away with a ton because her score in that final round, honestly, she played worse than that. All right? Came out of that. Went to Cincy. Awesome showing and since he backed that up, go to the Solheim cup. And I think like from start to finish showing up later than everyone, uh, not realizing that like it, it was tough, but I think the, the, one of the moments outside of Caroline and everything else that happened at the Solheim cup was Charlie not understanding that, uh, like I said, Charlie showed up a day late. So all of their, their wardrobes, uh, you know, their clothing are hung up in their closets labeled by day. So when Charlie shows up the next day, she puts on the clothing labeled day one, thinking that that's what she's supposed to wear, except for she came late. So it's everybody else's day two. <laughs> and it took Charlie five days to finally get on schedule to, to the fact that she showed up to the first tee on Friday morning to open the Solheim Cup. She was wearing the wrong skirt. They had to send her back to the locker room 
to put on the proper uniform in order to come back out. Almost missed her tea time. And and she like you know played really really good. Scotty, or Charlie rules. She <laughs> she was the leader of that locker room. She was the person that that Captain Pedersen leaned on when she needed something to break the tension. But at the same time, when when she needed somebody to like get that team room fired up and to go out and capture that Sunday signals, it was Charlie who she turned to. Like I think that that that. I just don't know how you could not say that the year was not successful for Charlie Hall. She had four four second-place finishes. She made over twice as much money as she made previously. She she got inside the top 10 in the world. She clearly raised raised her floor and her ceiling. She made 11 of 15 cuts. She played a little bit less than she has in previous years. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm... You got me on, on Charlie. Successful think, season. Yeah. I think Jordan, what do you, I, I think you took issue with resounding. Resounding because resounding is quite the modifier here. I like resounding. I can award to Lily of you perfectly. Charlie, Charlie had a good year. I'll, I'll give it to Charlie. Charlie had a great year. It's the best year of her career. How is that not a resounding success for her? You know, she all right to to play devil's advocate. She missed she missed the cut in three of the five majors. It's crazy. It was either feast or famine. Three missed cuts and two runner ups in majors. That's nuts. I I think can't, you just can't put her in a box. No, you, you know? can't. You absolutely cannot. That feels a little too Charlie Hole. We do want to see her win. I I think that's I I, I won't ding her in twenty twenty three. But looking forward, like, come on, Charlie, let's let's get a major. Let's let's convert some of these week to week strong performances in, into a few more wins. Next player on the list. I honestly I wrote this down. Huju Kim. And the more I looked at like this was a successful season. I don't even have like a, a counter argument to make against this. She remained in the top 10. She won. In Texas, she played pretty well in the majors. I believe she was second in the VAR trophy. I don't really know why I wrote down Hugh Joe Kim, but if, if anybody doesn't think it was a success, we can talk about it. But I, I, in the interest of time, I'm not sure we have to spend a lot of time with this one. Okay. Uh, Jordan, I asked you to break down Leona McGuire. Curious where, where this falls out. I'm feeling meh leaning disappointment because I feel like her disappearing at KPMG was just bad. Just, just, just really tough. I think it was like, what, like a stretch of like 69, 68s and going into Sunday, she shoots a final round 74. Like, no. And I put fairly high expectations on Leona McGuire specifically because like that's a former world number one. All right. And she was a world number one for a long time. And Case in point, Lilia Vu, former world number one amateur, has exceeded those expectations. And I just, it was sort of a weird year of somewhat sustainability, but I thought it was maybe the year that Leona would break out, kind of just based on the way that she ended 2022. And that that's not to say it was bad. Like, she was a factor at Solheim Cup. But I just, I, I'm, I'm whelmed at Leona McGuire right now. I, I no, There was nothing really that stood off the page. Um, I, there was a win. I like, you know, it's like when you go, 
I love fast food analogy. So it's like when you, it's like, it's like when you go to McDonald's and you get, you get what you ordered, but you're not raving about it to anybody in your life. And that's how I kind of feel about Leona McGuire. I'd love that. I I have no, I I think a win is noteworthy. All right. I guess I'll say that she, she only had one in her career that was last year. So to get a second one this year is no small feat. Um, she did play well at the Solheim Cup. You know, she she backed up her magical 2021 with another very, very good Solheim Cup performance, which I thought was uh, impressive. But yeah, I'm I'm whelmed. I, I love that. You, you got me there. I'm I'm whelmed, just like you. Leona's feeling a little bit like Tommy Ladd. Yeah. Ooh. Just throwing it out there. She's a team match play killer. You know, I mean, Tommy's won a bunch on on DP World Tour. I don't have to remind you guys of that. You know, Leona's should win a lot more than she does. You know, Tommy's got a lot more top fives in majors, of course, but you know, similar similar profile. I feel like, and and Leona's, you know, twenty nine, right, mm-hmm. almost thirty. She just ran out of gas. That uh, I mean, the four rounds at Meyer and then the the first two rounds at KPMG, she just she couldn't do it. God, like, 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 this is why I love, like, Solheim Cup and even that women's match play. It's, it, I just love watching players like Leona and Lynn that maybe can't put together four rounds or like that. They're not. That's not their strong suit. But man, you, you like, you send them out against an opponent in an eighteen-hole match play, and they're gonna, they're gonna come back with, with a carcass in their mouth, like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, speaking of Lynn, TC, I, I asked you to to kind of um, give us a final analysis of Lynn's season. You, you hinted at it earlier. Yeah, this is tough. You know, it's it's certainly not a resounding success. I'm not even sure it's a success. I think probably borderline between mad success. I, I was thinking she was going to get up to top ten. Um, you know, she it's just not the outright dominance that 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 I've foreshadowed, I think. Uh she won twice worldwide. She won the Dana Open in July by three shots. Um, you know, she was over she was able to finally come over to the States or return to the States in May. She had no top tens in majors. Um, you know, again, that maybe that's a big adjustment, right? Figuring out kind of what her what her rhythms, what her machinations look like you know, throughout the neck, you know, kind of through her first real LPGA season and hopping in kind of mid-season. We'll see, you know, if 2024 is a better year for her. But, uh, you know, I was impressed. Like, right when she came over, she notched a third at the match play. She won four starts later. She had top tens at Canada and Portland and then ended the season with a whimper. I think she was probably exhausted. For me, it comes down to, like, she hits so many greens and she's just got to figure out the putter. Like, it's, she's in proximity. She's... The final round 76 at Walton Heath really bummed me out. Mm-hmm. I thought she was in line to do something special there. And and even on, on the ladies' European tour, she didn't dominate or, or do anything. You know, she I think she she won once over there and uh but didn't really flash even before she came over in May. Um so overall I would say I would say meh as far as my expectations go. Randy, I'm not sure why you assigned this to TC because I just don't think there's enough room in his Swedish fandom heart for Lynn Grant. Do you do you differ, Jordan? Do you think it was a success? Yeah, 
I mean, I, I don't I don't have anything much to add in, you know, in opposition. Like it was fine. And yeah, she she the sample size so I think agree. is a little too small. I I I'll just say the sample size I feel is a little too small. And I really liked what I saw at the Solheim Cup. And right, maybe she's she's kind of like Leona in that way. And that's fine. Maybe that'll be your legacy, but I think it's too early to tell. But like she she's 24. She's you know, she's got all the tools. She's a she's got my favorite swing in the world. She hits the hell out of the ball. Like, you know, she's she won what four or five times last year on the ladies European tour. Um, like this is a top five player in the world, you know, and, and that's what she profiles as and she needs to hurry up and get there. TC, I was going to ask what, what are your expect? Are you readjusting your expectations for next year? No, I'm not. I okay. mean, she, she's made her last six cuts in majors, um, finished in the top 20 and four of those five. Like, I think she's, she's on her way. It's just not happening as quickly would have thought but not everybody can be ludwig right of course of course i still think it's I, I still think it's coming she won four let events last year this year she did win one let event the jabra ladies open i agree i think this is one of those things that we just have to kind of be cognizant of of the very lofty expectations uh based primarily off of her play like i think it's just one of those things where there's a lot of change in in Lynn's life of, you know, I, I could not imagine what it was like to, you know, get your LPGA tour card, then have like restrictions placed on you. Obviously it was her choice not to get vaccinated, but then to like, you know, make the most out of it playing a somewhat full let school and, and everything else. It's not like she just stuck on let. She traveled all over the place. She just didn't, couldn't come to America. And then when you finally come to America and I'm sure she had very high expectations as well. And then, it just didn't really pan out. It wasn't a bad year by any means. I think you, you're kind of right on the head where it's just like it is in between success and meh just because the, the expectations are so lofty. All right, here's a question because she's, she's only a year younger than Nelly. Who are you taking moving forward, Lynn or Nelly? Lynn, for sure. I mean, this for is one sure? of those things of, of – Yeah, for sure, 100%. This is one of those things of scar tissue. Like Lynn in, in her – in golfing years, and I say this is a, a thing with Ludwig too. And like, you could have somebody who comes out that you know the Tom Kim analogy. Nelly's been playing professional golf for a long, long time. There is scar tissue that's been built up because of that, you know. And Lynn is still young and fresh, and is still very, very early in her professional golf career. I think if you look at at swing wise, what like attributes each of them have in their golf game. Lynn is a a more powerful uh, and better player than Nelly is. They both kind of have wonky putters, but it seems like like Lynn has a better chance of getting that figured out than Nelly does. Agree. Can't believe Randy, who are you taking? I just can't believe we're in this place, and I think I agree with you guys. I when you first said that, I was like, wait, what? But it makes sense. I might trust Lynn more in big moments too. Just because of that lack of scar tissue, Cody. Wow. Yeah. I think there's a lot more durability on Lynn's side. And I feel like if we see another year of like what 2024 was for Nelly, then absolutely. Resounding. Resounding. Everybody's resoundingly on Lynn. I think we're short shrifting Nelly, though, because Nelly's 
floor is extremely high. I mean, look at the year she she just put together, right? I think she would say it's not nearly her best or what she's capable of. And yet she's, you know, she's like right there in every statistical category. I think the last one I I was going to be the most fascinated with. Cody, I, I asked you to give us the analysis of Rose Zhang her first year. Rose Zhang, I think uh, I'm going to give my grade here first, and and everybody's going to have different grades, of course, based off of expectations that they expect, as, as we have learned. I have tried continuously this year when everybody has said that, oh my goodness, look at this. This is this is what we expect. This is what she should be winning majors right away and everything else. I have always tried to dampen uh, them, and when results didn't come, I fully understood it's because she is still very, very, very early in her professional career. But I will say this year is a success, and I'm going to cheat a little bit in doing that because I'm not just going to take her professional career. I'm also going to include her amateur results. Wins the Anwa, and I will say – uh, in the, the the shakiest possible way, there's something with her at Augusta <laughs> National. She just she struggles around there. I was very fortunate uh, to be there for that final round and to be there during the playoff and be kind of embedded with the rest of the Stanford women's team and being part of that experience and and like really being for the majority of that back nine and then definitely in the playoff being like oh my goodness. Am I here watching, like, if Rose loses this, like, this is horrible. This is not good. But luckily, she was able to sneak that out. I think the the, the makeup for that, to be able to go back-to-back and win her second NCAA individual title uh, was a huge moment for her, fully knowing that that was going to be the end of her amateur career. She finishes it as the number one amateur in the world. She has the the record for longest amateur women's golfer in the world and then setting sights and and kind of slowly seeing her evolution as she comes out onto the LPGA tour. We get to Mizuho, obviously playoff win in her first ever professional victory. Was that clean? No, it wasn't clean at all, but it was enough to get the job done. She, of course, did not play in the Chevron because she was still an amateur. But the rest of her majors, she had a T8 finish at the KPMG. She finished T9 at the U.S. Women's Open. She had T9 at Evian. So three top 10s in those majors. T44, disappointing finish at the AIG Women's Open. I know we talked a lot about that during that week, Randy. We had very lofty goals at the end of the day i just don't think walton heath was a very good course fit for her and that ultimately showed in in her results but total uh played 14 events and uh she only missed two cuts so all in all for somebody who you know just turned professional uh with the 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 highest expectations thrust onto her to get a victory in her opening year to have the top tens of majors that she that she did have um, to have a caddy switch towards the end of the year. And I think like showing all signs that she is figuring out what her professional golf life is going to be. I will say it was a success. I agree. I think the one thing I was going to say was the Solheim cup was kind of relatively 
unimpressive, but you could say the same thing. Like it's pretty similar year to Ludwig's, right? Like made the Ryder Cup team one in his rookie year and you know it kind of uh like I would have liked to have seen a little bit more su- sustained success after Mizuho, just as far as kind of top end stuff, but all in all, like the fact that she got that done is is huge. Do you call those rookie years comparable? No, I think Ludwig's was a lot better. Like he won on two tours. He won, you know, he was first or second round leader a bunch of times and kind of melted on Saturdays and then fixed that. I feel like there was a lot more linear progression with Ludwig's. Whereas I feel like Rose kind of came out as a a fireball and then kind of, you know, dissipated a little bit as the year went on. That's fair. The uh, Solheim uh, talking about Rose there. It was the first time that she, that I noticed that she felt out, kind of out of place. That uh, maybe the moment the environment was maybe a little too big for her. Uh, it, it just kind of seemed that way. I don't know if she, you know, she talked about like hey, I never even expected this being an an opportunity or an option for me this early on in the in the year. And she does a really good job of downplaying everything. But you could truly see that like in pressers when the rest of them are all kind of mingling together and everything else like that, she felt kind of, you know, not sure if she was, I don't know how to say this. She wasn't a fish out of water, but she didn't feel as as a part of the team as everyone else did. And I think that's just something that takes, you know, years and years of, of being on tour and seeing and being around the same faces. The other thing that kind of worries me a little bit is that it doesn't like she's a really good iron player, right? It doesn't feel like she's got one skill that is going to transcend or help her dominate. Her success is going to be predicated upon playing very, very consistent golf over a long period of time, which we'll see if that equates, you know, like in some people's minds, the, the, the hype around, someone like her is, Hey, you better win and you better do it in dominant fashion and versus looking at the sum of someone's season. And I feel like her, her success is going to be more, more along the lines of consistency and high floor kind of stuff than it is like, Hey, she won by six and, you know, blew everybody away. She's probably bottom half in driving distance. She's, you know, top half, you know, top third in driving accuracy, Greens and like she hits a ton of greens and you know and I think she the putter is just really streaky right. She always had that consistency in her amateur career though. So we're saying yeah. that. Well, I'm saying like that's her skill. Like that's right. one of it's like she doesn't have that one thing that's like she's gaining a shitload of shots on everybody. Right, job. but is that so? Is that element of just totally obliterating everybody kind of disappearing? We think. I just, yeah, it's, it's, you know, she's going up against better competition where it's just, all I'm saying is that for some people, the hype may not ever match the results because the results don't look like they're not going to jump off the page at you They're It's going to be the totality of the results, the, the, the consistency, the number of top fives, number of top tens, the number of wins instead of the dominance of those wins. Cody, I think you made a good point about the Solheim Cup specifically. You know, she that Sunday singles match against uh, Leona, Rose just kind of looked like a, uh, 
I, I think my one thing I want to see from Rose, she she is so level headed and like downplays everything. I I want to make sure though that I, I'm just curious what kind of mindset she has because she she was kind of like a wide eyed little like fawn out there against Leona. TC, you're talking about taking carcasses back. Like Leona just like I, I'm not sure if Rose was ready for that moment or, you know, got in that moment and was like, oh shit, like this is a different type of beast than than I've seen before. Um I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I want I want some of that kind of quiet aw shucks to turn into like steely determination. All the time in the world, she's 20. Uh, I guess my my like question to, to wrap things, what are your expectations for 2024, Cody, for Rose? What, what, where do we go from here? I would say we see from the same consistency in major championships. I would say that she is flirting with, uh, you know, obviously competing but winning a major championship. I think... Sahali and I think Lancaster fit her very, very well. One thing, TC, that you kind of brought up, and and I think Jordan, you're kind of getting to, is that the golf courses on the LPGA Tour are set up a lot different than the courses that she was playing in college. And she does not hit the ball that far. She's going to need to get some distance in her game because everything else is there. And the the makeshift little finger trying to figure out leg putt thing like she she has to fix that because she hits way too many greens to be that shaky of a of a putter um i think moving uh, and we don't know she still has ollie on the bag this uh this week and we don't know what is going to happen and who she's going to have on the bag full time in 2024 but i know gilly was a very you know experienced caddy and was able to stable her and and get her through a lot of her rookie year, but I also know that there, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of common commonalities there. Uh, and we'll see, because I think Ollie as outgoing as he is, could be a very calming presence when she needs to be, but also somebody, you know, cause Rose likes to, she kind of likes to shoot the shit. And I think he's the perfect person that can keep her loose when he needs to. And he's been out there long enough and is used to big moments and it, it knows from years and years of, of being with Danielle of when to snap in and to be serious about it and to get your player ready to go. You know, it's just going to be a long, she's used to running marathons. I just don't see uh, Rose being like the sprinter just because the competition is that much better out there. Kind of amazing. We've, we've made it, what, two hours into this thing, and that was the first mention of Danielle Kang. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot like that too. I I just think it gets back to there's tremendous depth in the women's game right now, and I, it's like each new year I get more and more excited just because of some of the people joining from the amateur ranks and um, yeah, Danielle. It's Kane. time for us to see some some people. Right. You know, it's time to separate the the wheat from the chaff a little bit, or the wheat from the shaft a little bit, as Neil would say. Uh, <laughs> You know, like even like people like Angel, like, you know, Angel just got her first win or, or Madeline or, or Maya, like, Hey, like, like, you know, rise above kind of, it's, it's really, really deep and wide. And I want to see it kind of get a little bit, you know, Hey, let's figure out, let's get a little bit, 
like more tiers here yeah. as far as elite players and and that sort of thing. So, well, we'll end it with some uh, some topics. Um, thank you to some folks on our uh, refuge message board. I, I solicited some some topics of interest from them. Guys, do we want to talk about? I, I feel like with the news of John Rahm to live on the PGA side, maybe we just kind of dive into what we're hearing about the LPGA and LET merger and what the heck the PIF and Saudi Arabia might have to do with that. If folks don't know, uh, over the summer, really throughout the year, and I know it started prior to this year. We've been kind of in this ongoing, are the LPGA and LET going to merge operations? I think the plan was to to obviously keep two separate tours, but introduce an opportunity for some top finishers on the LET tour to gain status on the LPGA tour. We just found out a couple of weeks ago that uh, the vote to kind of formalize, finalize that merger in, in, in a lot of sense was delayed. It seems like that has been a delay coming from the LET side. TC or Cody, uh, I know we've been trying to talk to some folks. What what are kind of the rumors we're hearing with regard to where the LET and the LPGA stand? And what does Saudi Arabia have to do with any of that? I'll give a little background here before we get to, to that side of it. But this is not something that is new. The LPGA and the Ladies European Tour have been in a joint venture together for the last three seasons. Started at the beginning of 2020 when they came together with primarily the reason of the LPGA Tour has more resources at their disposal and they wanted to bolster the LET's prize pools. What is happening now in this this current vote that was put up was the formalizing of that joint venture underneath this new umbrella organization part of that is the lpga new, tour new cards yeah lpga tour cards that are offered to the the top uh, finishers in the seizing ending ladies european tour race but uh, the other part of that was what's reported as a 1.25 million dollars a year investment from the LPGA into the LET tours uh for you know for their prize purse what i don't uh and this is where i get confused on it is because just like the PGA tour saga is that what is being reported is that there is a a a vote for a merger between the LPGA tour and the LET tour. And that is not the case. All right. I think this is one of the rare instances where the LPGA tour thought that they were trying, you know, I think they thought that they're a little bit smarter than they actually are. And I don't think they realized that the ladies European tour had, uh, you know, other assets at their disposal, specifically when it comes to, Aramco and the PIF's investment in the ladies European tour. What we know is, you know, we've seen this the last couple of years with the uh, the Aramco ladies series, as well as the LET Saudi international, the Saudi international has a $5 million purse. And the reason why it's $5 million is because that's what the PIF wanted to put up for it. The reason why Chevron's purse had to jump up, 
from $5 million to $5.1 or $5.2 is because the PIF put $5 million and they did not want a major championship to have a less purse than an LET event. In total, I think it's right at about $8.5 million to $9.5 million a year that the PIF is investing into the Ladies European Tour right now. So, so, so that makes the LPGA's $1.5 million look paltry. Not only that, part of this deal would be to basically take all of the Ladies European Tour's intellectual property. So all of their you know, their their media arm, their tournament operations, everything, and they would put this underneath this new umbrella corporation that would be primarily, you know, managed by who knows who would actually get the these new positions, whether it be L, LPGA people or LET people or whatnot. Susie Whaley. Yes, but that is kind of where uh, we're currently at. So as Randy said, there's a vote put forward uh, for the on the ladies European tour for the, the players to vote for it. And at the last second, there was an, uh, some new information that people have reported now that uh, came to light and nobody's really talked about what the new information is. Well, that's because primarily a group of players that uh, European based players that are part of the, uh, you want to call them a Ramco or really they're just golf Saudi ambassadors. I would say, say, Hey, before we do this, the PIF uh, Performance 54 has another offer that they would like us to consider. So in order, they didn't have that complete offer ready to present in time. So instead of voting on this new proposal, they decided to to step, step back from that and not vote on it, kind of leaving the LPGA Tour high and dry uh, in the time being. TC, is there anything that I missed there up to that point? No, like I, I figured that the... I don't know. I thought the LPGA tour, their whole inclination to do this is to get the Saudi money in the side door a little bit and, you know, kind of, you know, align with the, with the LP or with the ladies European tour without having to basically rebrand the LPGA tour as, you know, the Aramco tour or whatever, kind of do that, you know, through sleight of hand a little bit. So we'll I see kind of, is. What, yeah. Yeah, but it just seems like they're getting outmaneuvered a little bit as far as, you know, the because I I don't like I was blown away at just like how how amateurish the ladies, the ladies European tour logistics and planning and everything were at the Solheim Cup where the the way that they kind of outsourced that to the local, you know, the local golf federation or whatever. But um yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't think you're missing anything. It seems like there's there's a lot of smoke out there. It seems like there's some things happening way, way, way above, you know, most people's pay grade on this. Of, hey, this stuff's happening in Washington, or it's happening, you know, all over the world. I think it's it's a matter of the PIF could snap their fingers and spend three percent as much money as they're spending on live, and totally own women's golf totally take over women's golf or you know it's the same thing with you know hopefully some of these like i just saw today that wells fargo is stepping away from the pga tour because it's gotten too cost prohibitive hopefully we see some of these same organizations that don't want to spend 40 million dollars on a signature event hey go spend eight million dollars on an on an lpga major you know 100 um, percent 
but yeah, I don't know. And then Susie Whaley's name just keeps popping up everywhere. Well, and let me let like me she, interject. She might be. I, I think yeah. if there is like a big Aramco if investment, and if they have designs of 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 challenging the LPGA tour or wanting to take an upper hand and perhaps design and create a more global tour. Uh, it, it sounds like Susie Whaley might be the person that they want to tap to lead this potential organization. Susie Whaley being a longtime PGA of America member played in uh, one of the few females that usually does not get mentioned when we talk about uh, females competing on the PGA Tour uh, qualified for that by being her section champion, I believe, and then moved up all the way through the ranks of the PGA of America Tour. She was the president of the PGA of America. One thing to note is that um, her daughter, Kelly, has been playing on the Ladies European Tour uh, for the past two, three years, yes, with minimal success, but... Uh, kind of, kind of a Drew Love situation. Very much. There's definitely ties there. She does not actually play in the majority of Lady European Tour events. She actually just plays in the Aramco Team Series based off of her relationships with Aramco, Performance 54, PIF. I don't really know where it is, but uh, for the majority of the time, you can you basically just assume that Susley has been involved in all of those deals and and is not a... You know, it's a name that they're very, very, very familiar with. Now, why does this matter? And I think this is where it gets down to of when, as it sits right now, uh, so people, uh, you can say Nelly, Lydia, any of the other LPGA Tour members who want to go play in a Ramco Team Series event as they currently sit right now, they have to get a uh, conflicting event release policy signed or a memo signed to say that hey i am i am not playing this the same as the pga tour i'm not playing this lpga tour event this year if there's a conflicting event i'm going to go play in this one they're only allowed three of those releases a year we know that these big money aramco team series events there's a lot more than three of them some of them take place in the united states you can get an additional one on top of the of the third one if it is in mainland europe i think but what it basically is is that they're trying to put everybody into this LPGA tour basket and then when the girls want to go play for this big money because they're assuming, I think, that the Aramco deal will stay on the LET side, that not all of them will be able to go do that. So it's caused this big kind of division within a lot of the European-based uh, players who play on the LPGA tour um, some of them who are still on LET but would like to accept membership in the LPGA Tour. Uh, so it's 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 a very muddy, muddy thing where at the end of the day, I still don't understand why Molly just doesn't go and say, yeah, let's do this and like let's bring these Aramco events underneath the, the LPGA Tour umbrella. Why, why can't they be co-sanctioned event? Especially in the context of everything going on with the PGA Tour. And- exactly. Well, I just wonder if some of the the heavy LPGA sponsors don't want to yeah. be associated with... Share the... Yeah. I don't know. That's maybe my best guess. I want to play this game because this is what I was thinking of too. Which sponsor do you think would, would come up and say that? 
Chevron? Uh, maybe Chevron, yeah. Think, you think big, big Oil, who, who has oil fields in Saudi Arabia, you think they care? You think any of the, the Asian companies who sponsor 50% of the other LPGA Tour events, you think they care? No, the one I, the one I think might care the most is KPMG. And we just, there was news. Doesn't KPMG, like, do stuff? Don't, like, don't they have an office in Riyadh? Very much. Yeah, I, it's just a tricky spot, though, because I know KPMG puts so much emphasis on women in sport and... Ladies, yeah, like women's well, rights. So is Ramco. Advancement. Listen, it, I'm not saying... saying that they care about women in sport? Y- yes. I would say that they're... they're they're mopping KPMG's investment in women's and sport. I would say that there's probably like, I think that's part of the thing, like running through the schedule. There's not enough big sponsors at at this level, right? Like that, that are, that are spending the requisite money. There's some people picking some stuff off here and there, but there's no, you know, you don't have anybody that like other than a KPMG or, even like it seems like Procter and Gamble, they're just kind of dipping their toe in, or Kroger dipping their toe in. Like there's, you know, the the LPGA match plays is unsponsored right now. You've got the the JTBC tournaments. They're probably one of the, you know, I doubt the South Koreans have a massive issue with being aligned with the Saudis. All right, you know? an- another potential well, yeah, issue. What about CME? And I and I only say this from the standpoint of I would think a heavy Aramco investment, they would want perhaps the Tour Championship in Saudi. And I know like CME yeah. is that's an 11 million dollar purse next year. The winner's going to get what 4 million, 5 million? It 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 the amount of money CME is putting into the tour championship, um, that tour championship is not going to be leaving wherever CME wants it to be. So I, I don't know if that's a potential friction just in terms of the schedule and some of the logistics. It, I don't have the answers. I, I don't Kelsey. know. Yeah. This is another one of those things, though, where if they do not get ahead of it, people will follow the money. All right. Oh, I mean, if so they fast. snap their fingers tomorrow, yeah. I think. And, and and that that's great on Terry Duffy and the the CME investment there, big. But like, if you don't have people that you, you know the best players in the world that are going to compete for that purse, then doesn't really matter. And if that's the case, and you can get Terry Duffy to put up that much money for your season-ending event, that's a limited field event as it is. Where, where's the rest of the purses? How come they're not going up at at that clip? You know, I think we celebrate the new Boston event, but you don't see a, a massive jump in purses across the board. I think when you look at it versus 2021, it's, I mean, they're up drastically, yes. drastically, but it's, you know, it's, it's not, there's other factors there too of like, all right, it's, you know, the men's games leaving it in the dust overall, the, the, you know, inflation, all that stuff as well. I, I think the, I have, I have a problem with the CME, like the $3 million or however much it's going to be next year, $4 million to the winner. When it's like, it feels like throwing good money at the wrong person. Right. Like, and I don't think anybody's like, it's not enhancing my enjoyment knowing that the winner gets $3 million or whatever, a million bucks versus like, like spread that money around the top players a little bit more, I think. Instead yeah. of it just feels like a fluky, like, all right, you know, you, you 
you know, it feels like Russell Henley winning the FedEx Cup. And, you know, you're like, oh, like, that doesn't really make any sense for him to make $20 million or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't. Anyway. Well, this kind of bleeds into something I wanted to talk about, which is Commissioner Molly Marcuse-Simon uh, completing her second full year as, as commissioner. And... I don't know. I, I mean, we don't have to do like an in-depth comparison to the first year necessarily, but where where do you guys, Jordan, I'll, I'll let you start. Where do you think her commissionership is? Is it in a good spot? Are there any like big head-scratching decisions that that you know? What, what's, what's your feel on Molly Marcuse-Simon? Um, maybe similar to Leona McGuire. Just kind of whelmed. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I guess if the eventual merger takes place, then cool. But, you know, and, and the purses are going up, like, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it to her, that's fine. But it's just, I kind of hate, I'm starting to get a little fatigued with the purse narrative because, yes, do I think purses should increase? Absolutely. But there's there's such a weird performance to it that I don't love. And I think the product... The product there there is such potential for such a good product, and it's like it, it's really struggling a little. Like my first thought is, I think back to CME, kind of what TC was saying. It's like the ramp up to CT or CME specifically stinks. It, it stinks so much, and I, you know, the Asia swing is tough to keep up with. You know, that's not really conducive to building like such a strong you know, domestic fan base specifically. And then you're like, all right, we're at Gamebridge and uh, these specific people really need to make it in or else they're not going to play into CME. And it's just that from a narrative side, it it stinks. And I, that's one specific example. And I know they are trying their best to revamp the schedule. The Boston stop is a nice domestic stop. And I just, at that, that, I really struggle with that because fine purses can go up and stuff, but it's like, what are we playing for? It's, it's kind of like the live analogy. Like you look at it, it's like, cool. I'm so glad you have millions of dollars now in generational wealth, but like, what are you playing for? And I love women's golf and I, I want to see a level up and I want to see more of a deeper competitive element, but I think it's format really is on somewhat of a struggle bus right now. I'm also impatiently awaiting a better pathway for the college and the amateur players right now, because it's just not there. And Q series keeps becoming more disqualifying in the sense that if a college or amateur player advances there, they have to turn professional. And I think that's a really unfair precedent to put on a college player at that time, especially when they're in the middle of a fall semester. And I don't know, it's not, it's, Conducive to either saying like, hey, cut your career short and take your chances here. Or, you know, they just don't have the same luxury as they do on the men's side. And the NIL money is not the same. There's there's so much about it that's not the same that still lends itself to being somewhat unfair. And even just starting their careers out, it is. And so it's it, it hurts because the women's amateur side is in a, so much of a better place than it's ever been. And it's so narratively consistent year round now where you have Anwa, you have the women's amateur, you have, you see these players in majors and you're, there's some level of visibility and recognition that we're able to string that connective tissue between Rosang and Rachel Heck and 
all these upcoming players, Latana Stone, you know, all of these faces, but we're making it, it, it feels strange that we're almost making it as difficult as possible for them to succeed. And there's such a good opportunity here. And I think there's a lot of squandering and I, I don't know. I think those are really two specific points about Molly's tenure. So I just feel whelmed. It seems like there's, you know, she's fighting some of the same things that, that big J's been fighting Steamboat J. tour side. Yeah. Steamboat J. Sorry. Of like, you know, like when she tried to give spots to when, when it leaked that she was going to give spots to, or I guess she just said it in one of the meetings, like, you know, five or 10 cards to let players as part of this merger agreement. And, you know, some of the LPGA tour, you know, mules kind of got, got, uh, yeah, that, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. <laughs> like, you know, the equivalent of, of the mules on the PGA tour, uh, you know, kind of, kind of got mad. And, and I think it was, it was more about, hey, like announcing it in season of, hey, this is going to affect next year. But I do agree. Like, there should be, there should be an LPGA U, or you know, yes. Like, like I know the PGA tour is is getting ready to. I think they're going to expand PGA tour U to in the DP world tour as well. So, you know, uh, European players that play at U S colleges, that'll like, they'll have their own standings thing that, that will equate to cards on the DP world tour. Um, as far as the schedule goes, like I do think there's, I do see incremental improvements. It's not going to be snap your finger. I think like, like for instance, Lote, Lote going to November and being another U S based, like, you know, prime time event to kind of, serve as a bridge between the Asia swing and gain bridge and CME of like, Hey, we're, you know, we're adding a, like, like a third event here that'll be in prime time. That'll kind of ease you back into watching LPGA. Cause I totally agree. Like the end of the season and the beginning of the season, both feel bolted on. They've got this really exceptional stretch in, you know, really starts in March out in LA and then, you know, they've bumped, match play up into April now, which is great. Chevron's no longer going against Anwa, which is a huge win in and of itself. That'll be in mid to late April now. Go back to LA and you've got Founders and Mizuho right into US Women's Open. Like it feels like there's a great cadence in place through the end of June. Um, you know, it feels like kind of March to June is going to be prime time for, you know, women's golf in certain windows there too that are some of the weaker windows on PGA tour schedule where it's Zurich or it's, you know, some of the, some of the April early May events that don't get as much notoriety that aren't elevated. Like there's, there's an opportunity there, I think. So they're, they're cleaning stuff up. Purses are going up. Like, I think, I think there's results here and I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but there's just so much structural uncertainty as far as what this thing looks like from a, Saudi investment perspective, you know, kind of, uh, I'd say, you know, existential stuff, I guess, but, it, but it seems like they're getting a lot of the details right here, but it's just, Hey, you know what? Like be more ambitious, come up with a P like come up with LPGA tour. You, you know, keep strengthening the Epson tour, all that. But I would say the other big thing for me is this, this insistence that it has to be network television. No, it just has to be. Just get the cameras out there and focus. Like instead of trying to trick, just got to be a good broadcast. 
just got to be a good broadcast. Let's start there instead of putting a shitty broadcast on network television. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go the other direction. Let's start with, and I know it's, you know, like that takes some investment that takes it's kind of chicken or egg, but man, I'm telling you at some point, like if you, if you sate the, the diehard people that are watching anyway, I promise you we're going to like, we're doing a better job of shining a light on how good this thing could be. And I think you're going to open people's eyes versus just versus what happened at Baltusrol, where you're you're putting a you know a good golf product on you know pack in a really really shitty package. That's not doing favors for anybody. Yeah, I lots of good stuff. I I, would, I was glad to see the LPGA struck a deal with ESPN to start getting more uh, streaming of feature groups and just doing some augmented broadcasting. It's only going to be a handful of events, unfortunately, but it's at least a start. And Jordan, I think you said it's such a good point in terms of like, I think everybody wants the women, the, the professional golfers, like, I think the two most important things are to have the U.S. Women's Open purse commensurate with the men and the PGA of America, the KPMG event commensurate with the men. Just because two national organizations that support both men and women, I feel like there should be minimal difference between like the prize purses they play for. But after that, like, yes, our purse is going up a good thing. Of course. But that's not what drives me as a, as a fan. And I think that's where it's like they, they're so focused on like, hey, purses, purses are going up. Isn't that great? And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, how can I have more enjoyment watching your product, right? Like, I, I feel like there's equal need to go to Golf Channel, NBC, and like, guys, we got to figure this out. The LPGA, I, I know I've said it before, but it just seems like such a ripe area to take chances, try new things. The last thing I want is for the LPGA to just kind of copy what the PGA Tour has done, and it feels a little bit that way with just like schedule and how we... Bad impression of a bad product. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I just want to like shake and be like, yo, the PGA Tour, it kind of sucks, right? Like do your own thing. Think outside the box. You guys are small enough, nimble enough. Like, yes, it's disadvantageous in a lot of areas, but you should be better positioned to try new things and to take chances and and to maybe explore how to make a more interesting, engaging television product. You you should be miking people like just all the things that we wish the PGA Tour could do. There's no excuse for the LPGA not to be able to just really try a lot of different things. So, yeah, I'm I'm much more encouraged bringing it back to like the original question of of Molly Marcusaman. I think I'm 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 more encouraged after her second year certainly than I was after the first year. I I I was nervous. I I think the communication still needs a lot of work just her communication and availability with the players week to week consistent touch points um but in terms of her vision for the game and seeing some of the the action that she's taken, 
I'm I'm hopeful that they're going down a good path. And I do recognize it's hard to make a ton of wholesale changes all at once, but I, I do hope they just keep chipping away at some of these bigger problems. The only thing else that I would add is that she, you know, she's done a, a monumental job getting this calendar back under control. Uh, I just want to highlight that again. I think she's uh, leaned in with her partners. We talked about KPMG, but now KPMG with the LPGA Tour talking about their, you know, going over the LPGA strategic goals partnership to work over the next five years to figure out how they can get additional capital and and back into the tour. Um, partner that up with the relationship that she struck with Fenway sports management earlier this year to look at marketing and everything else, uh, to help out the LPGA tour. It's the differences when you go to an LPGA tour event for, for us. And we see behind the scenes of like, if we just take like social media and if you go like whoever that shooter is, that is out there collecting stills or making reels or doing interviews specifically for LPGA tour socials that also is their YouTube that also they put out on their website. That's one person who is producing it, who is uh, shooting it, who is editing it. And most of the time doing the voiceover for it. Uh, where if you go to a PGA tour event, those four different jobs are done by like six different people. No, no, I would say like 75 different people. You know, they just have, <laughs> they have an abundance of They're doing uh, resources more. and manpower yeah. at this their is. disposal at the PGA Tour. And the LPGA Tour is putting out a, a phenomenal product on their own branded stuff with such limited resources and manpower tied to it. It's truly, it's so impressive to see and watch them do that. And I know a lot of that is in their communications and marketing departments. They do an awesome, awesome job. But I think Molly, the biggest thing is that I think she is taking bold steps now. And she is, you, you see that by what's happening this week that unfortunately we're not going to be able to talk about the results uh, for, but the, the partner event, you see her taking that by new events. And I know I said earlier when we talked about, you know, prize, you know, purses not raising and, and being big enough, I think she is doing what she can. I just think that it's one of those things where, you know, are we talking to everybody available? Or are we taking and, and trying to put Band-Aids still on things to make it okay? When I think if she continues uh, to make these big, bold steps, uh, it, you know, we will finally see the LPGA Tour and these women athletes showcase the way that they that they should be, that they deserve to be. But the telecast is a, a heck of a different thing. And unless there is substantial steps gained there, and that's where I hope, you know, some of this money, the influx comes from is by somebody who is like, yeah, you know, we want to invest in the actual te television product, the commercial product, because it, it, uh, it was a bad, bad year for TV and the LPGA tour. Uh, happy to see ESPN, but there's still a long, 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 long way to go. Hey, how was the last? Uh, I haven't watched like the last two episodes of the the Drive On series. I have not either. Solheim TC, I, I need to. 
I watched the Solheim Cup, and we talked about it a couple weeks back big. It, it, it was uh, very heavy on the rookies. I think they focused on Cheyenne on the U.S. side, and can't even remember who it is now on the European Tour side, but it was, you know, I think that was a, another a, a good decision to move forward with that limited series that they put out on YouTube. But I also think, like, they protect the players so much, like, not everything has to be this like beautifully chore like choreographed like overview of it. Like give us behind the scenes of like what is actually going on here. Because if you want people to invest in their product, you gotta have a little bit of vulnerability tied into it. Not everything has to be a big pomp and circumstance of of extremely polished, fancy stuff. And towards the end of that that series. I think that's where it kind of got. Yeah. I, I think that's very fair. Uh, and I echo wholeheartedly. It, you you got to let us in a little bit more for people to to take that next step and, and to really get deeply invested with these people and, and to care about, you know, what they do week to week. Um, it, it takes vulnerability. Absolutely. One of the things that I was asked about, and I'll, I'll just kind of go through it quickly, was what's what's the current state of investment sponsorship in the women's game and you know i i don't really know how to judge that from like a corporate level per se but there there have been a few things that have come out recently that that help paint a picture um one of the things going back to like the money in golf and purse sizes the new york times ran an article in july of this year just talking about where the LPGA tour has been and where they are now. Um, and, and so to, to level set the LPGA, the, the total official money for their 36 events topped a hundred million dollars in 2023, which is up from 49 million. So doubled from 2013, 10 years ago. And as, as recently as 2021, it was 70 million of total money available uh of course that's coming off of covid and and there are variables there but the overall trajectory is you know that the money in the women's game is certainly going up i think that filters out into individual uh money one this year 28 players earned more than one million dollars on the lpga tour there were four players that earned over two million and three over three million. Um, if we go back ten years, only two players earned above two million dollars. Nobody earned three million dollars, and only eight players earned over a million dollars for the season. So there is more money coming into the women's game, and then more broadly speaking, I don't know if anybody saw uh, Wasserman TC. Your friends at Wasserman Team Was. I love Team Was. They did a big research study recently about. Uh, media coverage of women's sports. So not just golf, but all women's sports. And they found that media coverage of women's sports, I'm, I'm quoting from the study, has increased to 15% of all media coverage of all sports. And while 15% still doesn't necessarily sound like a lot, uh, it was at 4% recently. Um, this was data that was looked at over 2018 to 2022, so about five years there. And they also project that if the current growth continues, 
women's sports going to get 20% of all coverage as early as 2025. So I, I think it's just, I think it's good to acknowledge that the overall sports landscape, uh, we are seeing more dedicated focus coverage on women's sports. And I think the LPGA Tour and women's golf, I, I know we're all hopeful that they'll be able to kind of continue riding this wave. Um, but there are some shifts happening, which I think are both long overdue and and great for not only these athletes, but the young girls that you know now have people that they can more easily see and and watch and dream about becoming like that's a very important thing so um i think overall it's it's a f- exciting time for women's sports with that said and we'll end it here we, we are very long into this i'm curious from you guys how did this was kind of our first year 2023 um being i don't know if all in's the right word but but just treating the lpga tour like we try to treat everything else in the world of golf. Uh, how did the year go for us, guys? I, I'm curious what your what your favorite personal moments of the year were. Anything that surprised you this year? Uh, Jordan, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but you shared internally. I'm not sure if you are comfortable sharing with the podcast listening audience. I, I just uh, loved hearing what your highlight, personal highlight was from this year. The U.S. Women's Open at Pebble and you guys inviting me to go was definitely my personal highlight, like just of the year, generally speaking. And yeah, I wrote this in um, in our What's Burning at the Kill House, but I basically I and I did never I did not reveal this internally until that What's Burning at the Kill House came out, but. I cried the night before I left for Pebble because that was the first time I was on a live show and I was so nervous and just, oh, like just a total mess. And I get to Pebble and you guys are just the absolute best. So gracious, so patient, so kind, and so willing to, you know, teach me and kind of guide me through that. And I... On weeks like that, I'm such a scattered-brained mess, and just how great you all were, and how much fun I had, how much I laughed, how little sleep I got, and I don't regret that one bit, was just every bit worth it, and I don't know, and yeah, Pebble was obviously a bucket list item, I mean, going to Pebble was so cool, and seeing such a monumental moment in women's golf history was awesome but it was even better spent with you guys and i will simply never forget that that was an honor to have you yes me either jordan (laughs) definitely a uh yeah it was awesome the easiest uh fit inclusion into this ragtag group uh possible i just hope your your sleeping uh, quarters were okay but um (laughs) We stuck her in the closet. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Big, I think uh, I'm going to flip this around to you. You're the one that that captains this here ship. Uh, You're the one that said, hey, guys, I have this idea. Give me your your bravest. Give me your boldest. Who wants to come with me? How do you think it went? What are your highlights, man? I thought it went really well, and I can't thank you guys truly enough for and, and all of NLU for, for being receptive and supportive and going along with me. It, it has been a ton, a ton of fun for me. 
I will put Pebble Beach Week right up there against any experience I've had at, at NLU. Just what a wonderful week that was. Cody, the late nights that we had in London, uh, doing radio, doing the live show, trying to go get some shawarma at, at 11.30. Um, that was just a ton of fun. And then to get to go to the Solheim Cup on European soil in Spain, again, another super busy week, but thank God those Spanish uh, people don't like to eat dinner until 10, 30, 11 at night. Um, I, I, Complete opposite than our time in London. Yeah. London, we couldn't get food. Uh, with slim pickings with yeah. Spain. Holy cow. But I, I think it's been, I, I, I truly think it's been, um, it's been very fulfilling for me. And I, I think that was the thing that uh, was one of the driving forces. I've just, I'm not like completely out of love with the men's side, but through the last couple of years, I, I just have gotten a bit uh, down on men's golf. And I like want an outlet to invest my my fandom in, to, to watch and care about and follow. And the women's game has just been right there um i find it eminently more relatable to the golf i play i i really enjoy getting to meet the players a lot of players um their personalities being out at tournaments it's just such a relaxed looser atmosphere i think than what i experienced on on the men's side but it's not just because of that i i just think it felt like i mean i'll be honest i i think it felt like the necessary thing for us to do as a company. And I'm just proud that we're kind of putting our, our money where our mouth is a little bit. I, I, I feel proud that we're trying to do the things that we wish other, you know, that, that we wish existed everywhere else. So I, I think it's been great. And as we look forward to next year, it's, it's just going to be more of the same. That's, that's the hope and that's the plan. Yeah. I'm stoked to get to some of the, uh, you know, the majors obviously, um, but even just, you know, like I'd love to get back up to Boston, Boston in the fall yeah, is, or like late summer, early fall is freaking awesome. Or, uh, I'm kind of keen to get down to Chevron. I want to see, I was talking to my aunt and uncle that, 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 uh, live out at the woodlands. You know, they said nobody really knew about the tournament last year. They were just kind of like, yeah, it was just, you know, like everybody kind of realized it was there like a week prior and then, and then a bunch of people kind of stopped by, went in. They're like, "This is great. This is awesome." They're really putting their, you know, putting some resources behind this. I feel like there's going to be a lot more awareness and, you know, kinks worked out of of that one here in 2024. So, uh, I'm going to try to get down to to H Town for that one. And then, um, I'd like to get to Anwa again. That was probably that was a highlight. I think I'm trying to think of when I went to that one. Was that 2021? 2022 yeah yeah and that was like you know cody you can attest to that from last year like just that that kind of represented everything i love about golf not women's golf not men's golf not competitive golf just golf at large like it was it was you know anyway and it kind of reminded me of going to the masters as a kid before it got kind of crazy and commercial you know and like you know just really hard to get to it, it was it was very much like it felt like the good old days back <laughs> over again as far as like when i was growing up in like the 90s so um yeah so i think you know getting back to those i would say getting to those two and then and then seeing the women at at, at st andrews is going to be yeah. spectacular 
Well, guys, we can we can leave it there unless anybody has anything to get off their chest. Um, I'll I'll reiterate what a what a great season it was. Interesting season. Uh, Lilia Vu announced her presence, and uh, we won't have to wait that long. the The twenty twenty four season kicks off. I think the third week of January. So we'll take a bit of a hiatus on the women's front. We'll come back with uh, some preview episodes and we'll get back on our normal cadence in 2024. But sincerely, thank you, Tron, Cody. You guys were were right here every step of the way. Jordan, uh, big, big impetus on our end to, to make sure you're included in a lot more of these podcasts. I really enjoyed your writing. You've been a tremendous asset to everything that we do. So thank you very much, guys. And also thank you to the listeners. Um, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. There are people uh, who've been fans of the women's game for years and years that are very appreciative that we're shining a bit of light on it. That's wonderful to hear. There are people that are new to the women's game that have been like, you know, this is awesome. I, I got out to an event. I watched, you know, this major. I'm, I'm into it. And that's so awesome to hear as well. So truly, thank you to everybody listening. Um, and we can't wait for 2024. Well right. said, Biggie. Well, well, let's hit him with a cheers and crack on and get out of here. All right. See you all. Cheers. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 